Welcome to Islamabad Rock City, episode four. Today's episode is about Guns N' Roses, my favorite band, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people out there. Uh, so without further ado, uh, say hello to my uh, broadcast partner from across the seas, Imran. What's good? Great, great, man. Thank you so much. Uh, so glad that we got to do episode four right away. Um, I also like the fact that you refer to me as your broadcast partner. Um, <laughs> I like that touch of formality. That sounds awesome to me. <laughs> yeah, also one of my best friends. But <laughs> most people listening, yeah, yeah. well, a few people listening know that as well. But uh, it's always always a pleasure to do this with you. Um, yeah, always. So, uh, it. Yeah, Guns N' Roses, man. Here we go. This is the big one, right? Yeah, this is the big one. I think uh, this is our gateway drug for both of us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, it brings up certain memories of childhood and etc. But we'll get into that. Um, but I guess uh, before we get into Guns N' Roses, uh, let's just have a little talk about, you know, what you're listening to right now, um, you know, maybe the last few weeks or even months. Mm-hmm. You know, what's uh, what's on your playlist right now? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll let you uh, I'll let you. Uh, so I guess I'll start. I'll start because you asked me. So um, mm-hmm. basically, um, I've been going back into the back catalog of David Bowie. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So um, I was listening to the Berlin Trilogy. And I think it, those albums are like Low and um, um, uh, Heroes, and then an album prior to that, Passengers. Uh, and I, how how it, it's two it's a two prong approach how I really got into it um, because uh, I had just finished watching that uh, Freddie Mercury movie, but well, not Fred, Queen movie, Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody, right? Yeah, and yeah. one of my favorite songs in that from their catalog is "Under Pressure," which was with David Bowie. And yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a good. Point. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, and um, Vanilla Ice thinks so too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vanilla. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. Um, have you ever seen the interview with Vanilla Ice where he he's like? He's trying to defend his use of sampling that song. Uh, he's like, mine's was slightly different. I don't know about defending because he had to pay. Yeah. He paid royalties for it. Yeah. So. <laughs> he, he was. He was. He, initially, he didn't want to pay royalties. He's like, no, it's slightly different than mine, and it was like the worst defense I've ever seen for trying to get out of paying royalties. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. I actually have heard Heroes. Heroes is a really good album, and I went yeah. through David Bowie too. Maybe not as deep as you. Like I didn't go album by album, mm-hmm. but I went through like greatest hits and um, like a few of his albums. Yeah, um, Stardust stuff. Yeah, and, all that. and actually, I got there because again, it's because of you. Um, you know, you had mentioned you're a big fan of Iggy Pop. Uh, yeah, I was when I was going mm-hmm. to punk, I kind of discovered him. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, uh, I wouldn't say huge yeah. fan, but like a good fan so initially and this is how it happened was that when uh, uh, david bowie was like he was living in la and he was like really he was strung out on drugs he wanted to get away be clean whatever and iggy pop had invited him to stay in berlin and in return david bowie had produced two of iggy pop's albums ah i didn't know that yeah, and they're really good albums. I think you've heard all of those albums as well. Uh, you know that "Lust for Life" song. Oh, yeah, 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 love that song. Yeah, so yeah, and that that was off that album. So I listened to those, and then uh, David Bowie as well. So that's what I've been listening to recently. It's really, it's really, uh, it's really entertaining. It's really fun. It's a, uh, they're a really good collection of um, 
of songs. And uh, I think the producer was, um, I forget, he's like, uh, he's a, he's a current producer of U2 as well. Oh, okay. And yeah, he's a very, he was with Roxy Music. I forget his name. His name passes me. Well, I but think I know I, what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So if you if yeah, and he he's world renowned for world music and stuff like that. But if you get a chance, just uh, you know, just check out the Berlin trilogy. Um, some of the stuff is like, you know, weird electro slow ambient beats which you love so much. <laughs> you know me too well, man. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, anything else uh, on your playlist? No, I want to hear what you've been listening to. Yeah, so uh, I was actually going through you too because I know it's your favorite band or one of your two favorite bands. So, um, yeah, I went through uh, Acting Baby, which you keep talking okay. about, which is pretty good. Uh, I kind of liked it. Uh, right. And then I went back and uh, I started doing the album by album thing. So I finished Boy, which was good. And I'm halfway through October. So I'm going through you too. So War is next. Um, okay. Aside from that, Vampire Weekend is going to release their album this year. So there's two singles out, like a, a single and a B-side. Wow, wow, wow. I didn't know. I just came across by accident because they're one of my favorite bands. So that was pretty good. Right, right. right. Single called Harm- uh, Harmony Hall and uh, the other song is 2021. Um, right. Aside from that, I've been listening to Weezer's, uh, which started with their covers album, which is called Teal. It's mostly 80s cover and a really funny cover of uh, No Scrubs. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so I've been going through all of their albums as well, album by album, backwards from their latest album. Um, so they're right. really good, and I'm kind of surprised of how much I like them. And then the other two are just Elbow and Block Party, which I've kind of listened to like greatest hits, and still going through it. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am so far. Okay, I wanted to ask you something actually. What did you think of Pinkerton, um, the album by Weezer? Uh, what year was that? Sure. I th- believe it was a 96 yeah, album. There. Is that the one with Buddy Holly on it or the one after? No, one right I after. I haven't got to that yet because I'm going through um, like their latest album back. Um, so I'm still in the 2000s. Okay. And the reason I ask is maybe next on the next podcast, we'll talk about it. Um, so I guess Pinkerton is one of those albums that was when it was released, it was a critic critical flop. Like they didn't tour. I don't think they toured with that album. But that album was gaining a lot of momentum amongst fans. And um, it is one of the cornerstone emo albums. People always call it like one of the, you know, the one of the greatest albums that we've never really heard about. And, you know, the Rolling Stone magazine did a re when it was re-released. They did a, you know, a review again, gave it five stars, which, you know, again, this is, you know, Everything is contextual and everything is, you know, uh, you know, um, I guess uh, relevant to the time. And so I, I was just curious. I mean, did I wanted to see if you heard the genius in that album or not? Or did you think it was so again, next question for next time, I guess. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying Weezer and uh, we'll talk about that next time. So uh, should we get into the Guns and Roses stuff? Yeah, let's get into Guns and Roses, man. <laughs> Axel's voice, man. Um, yeah, so what was the first uh, time you heard of them or uh, what was the first album that you had? Um, the first time I very first heard, like the first time I heard of them was actually the Terminator 2 song, You Could Be Mine. <laughs> That's funny. And, um, greatest film of all time, by the you way. Know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, greatest <laughs> film of all time. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, I fell in love with that song. And immediately after I got Appetite for Destruction, um, Illusions 2 as well. And um, and I bought later Illusions 1 because Illusions 2 had You Could Be Mine. And, you know, when you're a kid, you have limited funds. So now I got like ragtag three albums, you know, Lies um, and um, Appetite and Illusions 2. And then eventually later I got Illusions 1. But yeah, that's how I heard of him. That's and then uh, I got him from friends as well. Like I, uh, big shout out to Atif Qureshi, who's also a listener of our podcast. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, that's cool, man. But, you know, yeah, I got it from him as well. Yeah, I felt like uh, a lot of those kids, um, like the same thing with me. Like uh, my friend Farhan, he lived in my compound. His older brother uh, was probably around mm-hmm. Atif's age too. Um, so I borrowed uh, Appetite for Destruction mm-hmm. uh, from them, and then uh, made a copy of it. And I was like, wow, this is. I didn't understand what you know all the songs meant as a little kid. You don't understand the uh, drug and, you know, life references. Yeah. You just think, oh, Night Train is probably like this train that you ride. And, you know, <laughs> Mr. Brownstone is like a teacher or, a, you know, like an uncle, you know. So it was really funny. And then uh, I got a Use Your Illusions 1. I can't remember who I got it from, actually. But I listened to that to death, man. And then I mm-hmm. actually didn't get two f- a full year later when I got Use Your Illusions 2. Because I was just listening to one so much. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really interesting uh, that uh, uh, you got uh, Illusions 1 and I got Illusions 2 and I listened to Death Illusions 2 and you listened to Death Illusions 1. Yeah, there was also like a little competition, right? Like which one is better? Uh, yeah, the, the, I think there was. It was kind of fun, you know? Yeah, it was. It was fun. Um, so let's uh, let's let's go into the first album, Appetite for Destruction. Um how, what what are your thoughts about that album, and we'll go from there. Uh, so, Appetite for Destruction is my favorite album of all time, um, mm-hmm. of any genre of music. Um, it just it's just perfect. Like it's the perfect rock album. Like I think I like every single song, which is very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, like even the worst song, which I think for me was like Anything Goes, is still a good song. Right. Um, and there's just so many classics on there, man. Like. I love the album. Um, I think I appreciate more when I got older because when I was young, I was like, I liked it, but I was more about illusions. But when I got into, um, you know, adulthood, let's go back and listen to Appetite. I was like, wow, this is some, it's like perfect, man. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's got everything. So, um, yeah, it's very special, very special. So here's my, here's my other question regarding that. Um, now, you know, when you listen to Appetite then as a kid, Obviously, there's a lot of meaning to it. And then now, this after you've heard so much music and you go back and revisit it, how does it uh, – can you hear their influences? Can you hear – you know I mean? Do you still think it's like such a fantastic album still to this day? I do. I do. I mean, I can uh, definitely hear their influences because, um, you know, I listen to uh, Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones, which I think are two very mm-hmm. big influences for them. Uh, amongst others amongst punk bands as well but um it's for me it's still amazing it's still the best album ever for me it's not just because of childhood i listen i actually listened to it a lot in my 20s um and i hadn't heard it for like five six years in a row and then i suddenly got back into it and right uh, yeah it just gives me a rush man like i can't even describe like i get a buzz just from like still get a buzz when i hear welcome to the jungles opening riff and you know, right, right, yeah. It still gets me up, you know. Um, going back, um, <clears throat> and you did say that you know it's uh it's such a it's such a 
perfect album from so, from song one to song to the Rocket Queen. That's is that the last song, right? Rocket Queen. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, that, that's a great song. Yeah. So that and that's the last song on the album too, right? I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, besides, you know, I mean, um, what do you think of the hits that came out of that album? Like, you know, Sweet Child of Mine, um, Welcome to the Jungle, yeah. and uh, Paradise. Paradise City. All great, for uh, from my point of view. Uh, I liked. Uh, I actually liked My Michelle. Quite right, a lot. right. That was a good song too. Yeah, so that's actually in my top five of GNR songs. Um, but uh, I was happy with the hits. Yeah, they're the you know, Welcome to the Jungle, especially. Um, I think it's the best song on that album, from my point of view. Right. Um, but yeah, there were other songs that could have been singles, like Rocket Queen, maybe, maybe Mama Shell, or um, you know, a bunch of others, man. Like uh, even uh, It's So Easy is such a great song. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, going back, that's a great acoustic hit. You know. It is. It is. Um, and uh, like Your Crazy's uh, acoustic version, which was on Patience, was really good. So that song was really good. Uh, you know, Out to Get Me was like a good rock song. So, um, yeah, for me, like every song is great on the album. So I'm kind of biased. Right, right. Um, um, yeah. And, you know, I, we just wanted to add, I think uh, that that album was produced by um, Mike Klink, right? Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, and uh, thing about Mike Klink was, I think he only produced the only memorable album that I can remember that he produced was the uh, Metallica, Metall- one of the Metallica original four albums. And um, you know, oh, okay, he, I didn't know he did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think second album, second album. And the thing was, I've never, you know, after that, you know, like after Hard Rock, that album, I don't think I've ever heard of anything besides that from him. And I did do some research, and it wasn't like. Anything spectacular that I could think of that he did? Uh, okay. I guess maybe he didn't have the personnel to work with or like maybe big bands, he never got a chance again. Maybe they became too big. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think you hit it right on, hit, uh, right on the nail with that one because, and I, I think we'll discuss this later, um, is that sometimes all five guys, it was the chemistry of all five guys, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Um for me, you know, like a lot of the uh, lot of the album was like straight, you know, like straight, uh, straight hard, fast rock and roll. And um, yep. as I, you know, as I listened to more music and then I went back to it, I can definitely hear all their influences. I can hear their influences, and they created their own sound. You know, I can, yeah. um, you know, I think all five members were real big, huge fans of, uh, you know. Um, punk as well as classic rock and then they just mixed those sounds together and then they just you know came up with an album um, I remember reading about uh, you know the entire quote-unquote hair metal movement and um, in that particular a lot of their contemporaries they were very jealous that these guys made this album they're like this wasn't a joke album it was if you and especially if you listen to their contemporaries you're like Oh wow, this is like a very serious album. It wasn't about like girls partying. Uh, no, no, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, I always equated to um, NWA straight out of Compton because um, both are set in LA and both are about the gritty kind of um, underbelly of LA, mm-hmm. right? And you know, both bands were like young and just they're just singing about not so pleasant stuff and 
stuff they see every day and they're going through. Right. So I always equate those two albums as kind of like uh, completely different genres, <laughs> different styles of music, but same kind of idea, you know. So, and that was so different from the, you know, that gritty rock was so different from the right. kind of ballad, uh, you know, anthem and ballad kind of hair metal rock you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that yeah. for me, I always felt like, you know, like it was just like something crawled Very out genuine, of the gutter you know, or something. And genuine really made, and real. Made a song out of, out of that. Yeah. And, you know, um, for me, like, uh, again, you know, I could hear like all the uh, great, um, yeah, you know, their influences. I, I heard a lot of the New York Dolls on it. I heard a lot of their... You know, um, uh, like a lot of, uh, I would say like a lot of punk elements in there. Again, it's a hard, fast album. One of the best hard rock albums ever for me. No, you're absolutely right. Like when I got into punk recently, New York Dolls was one of the bands I was like listening to quite a lot. You're right. They're so influenced by punk. But you wouldn't know that as a, as a kid, yep. you know. It's only if you listen to punk that you kind of understand how, how uh, influential it was. And I think, um, I think um, you know, they were, and compared to their contemporaries and going back to it again, you know, like um, they, their albums were so far ahead. I think, uh, you know, like you mentioned, maybe Skid Row. Skid Row is probably a little bit like them. Uh, yeah, they were in the same kind of genre, but maybe not as good, obviously. But yeah, they were, I mean. No wonder Sebastian Bach uh, and Axel were friends. Yeah, yeah, that's the movie. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's very good friends with all of them. Now moving on to GNR Lies. Uh, how did you how did you feel about that album? Uh, so GNR Lies, I liked quite a lot, but uh, it was mainly the four acoustic songs that I liked on there. Um, so uh, from memory, it was a uh, "You're Crazy," "Used to Lover," uh, "Patience," which is amazing. Right. And uh, one in a million. Yeah, and you know what? Actually, we're going to touch on that. Um, <laughs> you know, I was um, I, that was one of the f- second or first albums I ever got from second second album that I got from Jinar. And um, you know, even as a kid, I didn't understand one in a million. I was like, why is he? Why is he talking about this? And I never heard it again. In fact, I never heard the album again. Never heard anything again from them uh, from that album. And um, recently, I heard "One in a Million. and the fact that it was an acoustic song, and I heard the lyrics. It was just I got halfway through it and I didn't care for it. I I think I had to listen to Public Enemy and uh, Killer Mike's solo album just to kind of get through that, you know, because it was just like yeah, I, I I this isn't this doesn't even sound great, and it was disturbing for me. Yeah, I think uh, as a kid, I didn't really uh, pay that much attention to it. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it was un- unnecessary the the lyrics in that song. So yeah, I guess uh, yeah. I mean, uh, but the other songs uh, I was really into, like uh, the acoustic songs, um, and uh, especially patience. Patience was like I think one of their best songs ever. Yeah, you know, and and going back, yeah, that was uh, one of their best songs ever. Um, it was, a, you know, um, I, I don't, you know, you have to, here's the thing. When you think about Axl Rose, you're like, I don't know if, does he have a great, like, can he do like acoustic songs and 
with that voice, with that, you know, that super strong rock and roll stadium rock sound. And he did it. He pulled it off. Yeah, he kind of had two voices. So he had the low voice, which he used on, uh, like, say, It's So Easy and Patience, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't have the screeching and the usual, you know, high-pitched stuff. So uh, I think uh, that's that's one thing that was very impressive about him and the band. They could do ballads as well as the usual rock. Um, the other question I had was, like, what did you think of the uh, live songs? Oh, you mean like Mama Kin and uh, all that stuff? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was not bad, not bad. I think I liked Nice Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked Nice Boys, but overall, it was okay. You know, nothing special. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I think Mama Kin is Aerosmith, right? It's a cover. So um, I think so. I'm not uh, again. I have to. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, Mama Kin was a cover. Like, but the other three, um, uh, they're the li- okay. You know, uh, when I heard the live songs, I was like, man, I wish I. Saw the band live then. Yeah, I imagine it must be uh must have been a kind of shock to the system, right? Very fast, hard rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to just to you know just to mix it, you know to hear it. You know, I was going to ask you this, um, and you had mentioned Mama Kin as a Aerosmith cover. I remember a long time ago, one of my friends had uh, told me that uh, Guns N' Roses were really influenced by Aerosmith. Did you ever hear that by any chance? Did you ever feel that way? Uh, Yeah, because um, I think it was much later. When I was in my 20s, someone told me to listen to Aerosmith's early stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like their first few albums. And I can definitely see Slash uh, being influenced. I uh, I forgot. I don't know. Is it Joe Perry? I think. Yeah, Joe Perry. Joe Perry. Yeah. So uh, a little bit. Yeah, definitely, man. How uh, and just to kind of go on a little bit of a tangent, not too far. What did you think of the early Aerosmith albums? Because you've listened to them, I haven't listened to them. Uh, they're very good. They're okay, very so good. you would highly recommend listening to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. I like Aerosmith overall as well. You know. Yeah. It's just. Uh, <laughs> At the end, they got a bit a little uh, not so good, but they were pretty good, man. They were definitely like I've only heard of them of the ballads, and those were the uh, you know ninety four album and the ninety three stuff. Like I've only heard their ballads, and then the one where they go to the to the asteroid or whatever movie soundtrack. And uh, yeah, I've only heard yeah. their ballads. It's not like I've heard anything I could say that's like, oh yeah, that's. Uh, that's something. Uh... No, they're pretty good. Uh, just looking it up. So, Mama Kin is off Aerosmith's first debut album, 1973. Um, so it was actually a single. Uh, so, that's the kind of music they were making back then, which is quite different to, like you said, the 90s, uh, you know, crazy and whatever ballads. And then they got too, I think, got too much into the ballads later on. But uh, they were right, definitely right. an influence. They were definitely an influence. I think Slash has mentioned it. Uh, in his autobiography, which uh, which I read a little while ago, that Joe Perry was a big oh, hero nice. of his, you know. Nice. Um, uh, you know, uh, the th- um, so you would say that the first albums was like a lot more harder and s- harder and more rock and roll. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. The, I think it's, I think what Aerosmith had found out was like, you know, we can make money off ballads. We make good money off ballads. We sell singles through ballads. And I think that's the route that they decided to take. Yeah. Unfortunately, man, that's where, um, 
you know, people get in uh, when it becomes commercial. That's how that's how it goes, right? So so now now we move on. Um, so between um, lies and illusions, there's like a big. Uh, I think was it five year gap or eighty eight and then ninety one. That album was released. So it's like almost like a two to three year gap in between the albums, right? And um, yeah, and just 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 a little bit of news in between, not news but history between the albums. You know, like. Uh, they lose two members in the process. You know, they lose um, uh, the uh, first drummer, uh, Steven Adler. And uh, yep. by the time the album is recorded and done, Izzy Stradlin leaves. So, yeah, so he did finish his part in the yeah. one and two. But uh, yeah, that was the last album yeah, he was featured and, on. And um, he just felt like, I think when I was reading back on it, I don't think he liked, he didn't like the fact that, um, Steven was gone. Like he just, he felt like it wasn't, it wasn't working as a band and he himself left. And that they, you know, and again, we'll touch on him again later in the, at the, towards the end of the podcast is, and I, and I'm going to ask you this question up front that do you feel that an, a lot of historian and revisionists or whatever have you, they keep saying, they keep mentioning, is he straddling? Is he straddling? Like he was the guy, he was the gel. He wrote a lot of them, the songs, do you think that people overplay that or do you think he's actually very underrated? I think he is actually very underrated. So, um, you know, he wrote Don't Cry, for, you know, it's one of the greatest songs ever um, and various others. So I think he is very un underrated as a songwriter. Um, and I think he was very important uh, for people like Slash and Duck, you know, and they've mentioned it, you know, like he was a kind of a backbone of, of the group. Because he was a childhood friends with Axel, right? So he, he kind of gelled uh, Axel with the rest of the band. He was kind of in between. Right. And uh, with a guy personality like Axel's, I think you need, you know, someone with a calm head, someone you can, uh, who can act as a mediator. Um, and then uh, aside from that, his, uh, he was just very talented, you know, as a songwriter. Right, right. So, and, and, you know, as we were talking about, like, this whole recording process, and then the album sound changes, too, from Illusion, from Illusion 1 and 2 to from Appetite, and also probably Lies as well, the sound changes. There's, like, backup, backup singers. There's, like, uh, you know, an orchestra set. There's piano. Like, all this sounds mm. are added into it. Um, and before we go into like you know illusions one and two, how did you feel about like um, the sound of it sonically, both albums? I thought it was great. I mean, uh, to this day, I think uh, it's unlike any other rock album. You know, those two albums. Yes, I felt it was a little bit like um, you know when the Beatles tried with the White Album to have like different types of songs within the same album. Almost to show off, like we can do country, we can do folk, we, you know. Yeah. I felt uh, Use Illusion One and Two was like that. So you had like, you know, You Could Be Mine, which is like Appetite, could have been on Appetite, yeah. you know, the fast. Um, you had like ballads like November Rain and Estranged. Um, you know, you even had like a attempt as a, a of a rap song with like Garden of Eden yeah. type, you know. Um, you had all kinds of different themes and. Yeah, it was it was a it was a big like a mixed bag, but I thought it was a good mixed bag. You know, I don't know how you felt about it, but that's how I uh, kind of see it. Like, 
just showing their range as artists, yeah. very artistic. I, I'm going to have to agree with you 100% that, you know, as a, both albums moving away, they're really showing their range. And funny that you mentioned that, that actually You Could Be Mine was supposed to be on Appetite, but they cut it, but they loved it so much. Oh, that makes sense. So yeah. it does have the uh, you could be uh, the appetite sound to it, and it's a killer track, man. It's a real killer track. Oh yeah, yeah, big time. Um, so let's let's get into it, man. Let's uh, let's get into uh, Illusions One. Let's start with Illusions One, Steve, because you heard that from front and back. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just love the album. Uh, as uh, most people know that we know, uh, November Rain is always going to be my favorite song. Uh, it was when I was twelve. It is now. I uh, just, I know people say, "Oh, it's bloated" or whatever. But I just love that song. So that song alone is like for me makes the album right. special. Uh, and then I was really like stuff like "Don't Cry" and you know I even liked uh, stuff like "Double Double Talk and Jive" and "Bad Obsession." Right. You know, and those type of songs, um, and even "You Ain't the First uh, by Izzy Stradlin, which is like a folk country style song. Uh, I just like the album, man. The Garden, you know. Um, how did you know a couple of the songs off the off that I that you know I mean uh, that I liked on the album? Um, what, what you know, uh, starting with because I heard so much of "Don't Cry" with the alternative lyrics on the second album with Shannon Hoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. always funny. How did you? How did you? Which one was your favorite? Don't cry. Uh, ones. <laughs> and you know what? That's not the one that went. That's not the one that became the single. It is. Is it? Is, is so? It's that one. No. See now. See, I didn't know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Illusion one. That's the version that was a single, and then the alternative lyrics that wasn't a single, but it was on the Illusions too. Yeah. The, um, uh, because I, I thought on the uh, music video, I thought I saw Shannon Hoon there. Uh, yeah, he's in both, from what I understand. Well, he's definitely in the Usual Illusions 1, <laughs> because he's in the video. So, And I know the lyrics. Yeah, so. that, was, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's very interesting. And, you know, that's the first time I think yeah. I've ever heard of, an, uh, of a song that had two sets of lyrics. And then they were actually released on record, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they were released as a single on both albums. Yeah, that's very interesting. It is. Uh, it was a great song too. Both versions are great. Yeah, yeah. both both versions are great. Um, I I like I said I enjoyed uh, both uh, uh, both songs. I thought there was like a, a very interesting ballad. You know, it's uh, I don't think comparatively like when you listen to a lot of these um, uh, their contemporaries. Like I guess the best example would be to use is. Um, um, probably Def Leppard or um, uh, Bon Jovi, and if you look at both both guys and um, uh, you know listen to um, to both bands compared to Don't Cry, it's I don't know. I, I, for me, at least, it felt like miles ahead of what both bands were doing. This was like some you know. 3000 level type uh, songwriting and song composition. Yeah, they were just better, I think. That's all it comes down to. And that, uh, yeah, exactly. And I felt that way too. Uh, you know, like, uh, particularly with those songs. You know, uh, and then going again, you know, like November Rain, that's a great song. But um, 
It was, yes. With uh, Don't Cry, it was a lot more stripped down compared to November Rain. And, you know, and, um, you know, lyrically, I'm with you. I'd probably say that November Rain is probably a better written song, but, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's a very subjective thing. But again, um, so I always felt like their ballads were just miles ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think they were just miles ahead at that time anyway, not just the ballads, you know. I mean, there there was a reason they were the number one band in the, in the world in, you know, that that time period. Short time period, but still, you know, they were like they were at the top, right? They were at the top of the charts. Uh tours were selling out and everyone was into them that I knew anyway. Yeah. Um you know, and going back uh, before we get into uh November Rain, um you know, my other two favorite songs on that album was The Garden and Garden of Eden. I thought both songs were great. Yeah, you're right. Good good choices there. Uh, the Garden yeah, had yeah, uh, Alice Cooper on it, right? And that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Alice Cooper's on <laughs> That is true. That is true. And um, I thought both songs were great. I thought they did a really good job. And, you know, uh, the, the you know, I think they were talking about, like, drugs on that one yeah they're definitely talking about drugs i'm pretty sure yes yeah as an adult when i listen to it i'm like oh they're really talking about drugs and then as a child <laughs> i guess they're in a garden <laughs> <laughs> yeah lsd garden or whatever man <laughs> yeah uh now moving on to uh november rain uh ha- you know the the claim against that song is it's like overtly bloated it's so big. It's so unusually large. How did you, did you view it that way? Or did you think it was like the perfect, it's like perfect uh, song? Uh, yeah, I don't care about that at all, man. Like it may be, it may be not, but for me, it's just my favorite song. And, uh, you know, it's been over 30, well, whatever, 20 yeah. something years and it still is. So um, until I hear something better, I, <laughs> You know, I can't change my mind. Um, yes, it is bloated from like the video, for definitely. You know, um, but I just think it's a great song. Like, why not take those chances and you know have piano and um, expand? You know, you can't make uh, yeah. Welcome to the Jungle every year. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and and you know, um, I think, uh, and it's really weird because it's uh, it's one of those situations where we heard the album as children. And it made a great impact on us. It made a great effect on us. But these were, you know, at the time when it came out, it was, you know, the consensus of a lot of critics. And they weren't really, you know, they were. And it's so different because you're like, I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel it was bloated. I didn't see that. Yeah, critics can go to hell, man, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I, I'd give a damn about any critics. Yeah. You know, movies, music. I don't care what they say. Yeah. Most of them. You know, there's a few good ones. A few good ones. But. It, it's it's art it's what you think right if you like a song you like a song <laughs> there isn't much uh, thought associated and you know and you know what's and why i bring that up is because and you're absolutely right that you know what is critical acclaim what is it you know but i think you're absolutely right and the reason i bring it up is like it's such a it's such a dichotomy of how we perceive it and how you know at the time it was perceived to us, it was like, man, I, th- I thought it was great. I don't know what bloated means. I don't know what that is. Like, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I bring it up. It's just, it's you know, it's it's not um, 
it's not to say that oh look at our opinion versus it's to uh, uh, I look at it in terms of like you know and exactly what you said you know like you have to grow you can't make uh, an appetites album all the time right? you're right but uh, it's not just critics some of the band members felt that way so I remember uh, Matt Sorum saying that you know he joined Guns N' Roses to be part of like a kick-ass rock and roll band and you know what's with the piano but I think it's kind of uh, you know limited thinking you know yeah and, and you know I, I was a, and I remember this remember I, I don't know if you remember this but I had forwarded you an article about what was going on with Guns N' Roses. This is in between like the end of Guns N' Roses and they were starting to record Chinese democracy. And um, I think mm. I forwarded the article to you and I had a whole bunch of people that were around with, and they're trying to tell you what's going on with Axel. What is he doing with it, with the band? Okay. Yeah, I don't remember that article per se, but I was following what was happening. Right, right. I actually I was and funny thing was and it was the same thing you know like Lemmy from Motorhead say, said the same thing he's like you know they were so rock and roll and now they're just yeah so that's I, yeah yeah you know sometimes music is undeniable it's not like um, you know if it sounds good it sounds good yeah you can't really disagree with that feeling that it gives you you know what I mean like who cares what other you know if critics or other people think if you like it, you like it. no no neither do I neither do I I just that uh, you know I mean. And, you know, you can say whatever you want, but if you listen to the album. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, you probably think, oh, they're going to give it, you know, a 10 out of 10 or whatever. And then it's like, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. Yeah, exactly. I just didn't feel, uh, me personally, uh, actually, you know, what's funny is because, you know, as a kid, I was like, oh, this is your great albums. And then I heard, I read the critical analysis of it as an adult. And I'm like, that's really weird. Yeah, I was like, what? Anyway, and now, you know, because it was, I think both albums were released on the same day, so we're moving on to the next album, um, which was Illusions 2. Yeah, another great album. How did you, uh, what was your favorite songs on it? Uh, I liked You Could Be Mine, Estranged, uh, and Civil War. I liked Civil War quite a lot. Yeah, there, there was a video to that too, right? Yeah, yeah. Even get in the ring was fun. Like you know. Yeah, it was. It was. And I, was it? Wasn't that the song where he was like actually calling out critics? Yes, it was. That is hilarious. Like he's he's beefing with critics. It's Axel Rose, man. He beefs with everybody at that time. <laughs> and you know, it's funny. And this is you know relevancy of today, again, because I don't think people talk. I don't think critics matter anymore. Like in today's day and age, they just don't matter. And I can't imagine anybody making an album where they're giving, you know, they're dissing uh, critics. I just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I don't think there's been ever another um, rock band that's done that. Yeah. Um, I think Stereophonics had a song called Mr. Writer, which is kind of dissing journalists. Right, right. But I can't think of any other songs from a rock band anyway. Right. So. Yeah. You know, um, moving on to another great song um, on this album. Um, what did you think of Estranged? Uh, yeah, Estranged is a great song. A little long, but I like it. Right. And um, how did you, um, when you uh, when you go back and uh, 
comparatively to November Rain, how do you think they stand? How does you think it stands up? You know, for me, actually, as I got older, I started liking Estranged more than November Rain. Well, for me, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's I just felt like something about the lyrics that just spoke to me, and I just said, "Oh, you know what? It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty cool song." No, no, I get that. A lot. Of, there's a. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. There's definitely a Estranged fan club out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, uh, and um, going back historically, there's actually two songs put into one. Yeah, it's very, very dark and very uh, introspective. Was, again, you know, it's, um, I, I, for me in this particular album, I call it the uh, trifecta of hits. So, you know, uh, for me it goes, uh, you know, it's, the estranged you could be mine i mean so fine strange and you could be mine that was those are three of my favorite songs of that album and they're just back to back correct yeah that's true that's true uh, fine so fine is so good um you know and i was looking over this i didn't know that it was written by bob uh, i mean not bob it was written written by duff mckagan yeah solid so fine is another good song man um yeah so um, yeah underrated yeah, uh, that's uh, that's very interesting. I never knew he was uh, he had those writing chops. But I guess he does. He does. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, most of them uh, got involved in some of the writing. You know. Yeah. But you're right. It was not just Axel and Izzy. You know, there was Duff. Right, they, right. And so now everybody contributed between, a little bit. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Like historically, what happened? Like, you know, from '91, I would say it's from that this album was released in '91 till pretty much 2000. Eight or yeah, it's two thousand eight when Chinese Democracy was released, right? So from ninety one to two thousand eight, there was no albums. Yep. Um, no, there was a single on the um, End of Days soundtrack. Yes, yes, you're right, you're right. I mean, I'm sorry, there was a there's the spaghetti incident, so I think we should probably talk about. It. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. So yeah, spaghetti incident um, was a covers album of their favorite punk punk songs. So it's a punk album. Yeah. Um, aside from, uh, I think, Since I Don't Have You, which obviously isn't a punk song, but uh, the rest of it was. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of strange, because at the time, I didn't know it was a covers yeah. album when I was a kid. So I thought it wasn't that great. But when I got older and I started listening to punk, I actually went back and uh, listened to the original songs, and it gave me a different kind of appreciation for it. Did you like it back then, or have you heard it since? No. Uh, you know what? To be honest with you, I didn't like it all that much. I think, uh, you know, actually, since I don't have you and Down on the Farm. both. Yeah, both Down on the Farm is hilarious, man. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So as I got older, like uh, – I got into more like the New York Dolls and the Stooges, and I went back and listened to it. And um, you know, um, I would say that the album was uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, mediocre. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you can say it's like a you know like a it's like a tribute to punk, right? It's just like a fun album. You know, it wasn't designed to take up the charts or you know, make a lot of money. It was just like, hey, we like this punks, so let's just do some covers. Yeah. Um, Sound-wise, um, uh, just a couple things. There was a cover of Soundgarden song on there as well. 
it's like mixed in with another song. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, and do you know, the funny thing was, um, regarding Soundgarden was that they were playing, uh, with Guns N' Roses on that final tour because Axel was a huge fan of grunge. Ah, I didn't know that. I thought he hated yeah. grunge. That's really interesting. And he got Soundgarden to open up for them, which again, wow, weird to imagine. That's pretty cool. Um, so there was like they did do something like that, and uh, you know that was like uh. That was a very uh, yeah, for me at least it was a mediocre album. I just thought you know they could have done better, and I think they had a contractual obligation to release uh, some songs. They just did a covers album. Yeah, that makes sense. I think there's also like sympathy for the devil's cover uh, for uh, interview the vampire movie and uh, stuff like that. And uh, did you ever? Uh, I think you uh, you mentioned it to me actually. The end of days song. Um, soundtrack song uh, oh my god i think you told me about it to check it out back in the day so uh, did you like it you know what i did like that song yeah. me too i did yeah. that song um it was uh it was a mix between like um you know that nine inch nail songs but with like the guitar attitude of uh you know, like a hard rock. Yeah, it was pretty good. But the thing was, like, they, they just disappeared. <laughs> that was another strange thing about Guns N' Roses. Like, they always, um, they just got, they were away for a long time. Like, I remember the VMAs in 2002. Mm -hmm. They came back with a performance, which is, like, famous now. Had Buckethead on there, and critics ripped that apart, too. Do you remember that, like, yeah. in 2002, when they made a surprise appearance? And um, here's the thing. I'll mention two things about, before I get into that, particular performance and um i'll mention two things about um that uh, end of day soundtrack uh number one uh it was the uh guitarist from jane's addiction um and he also served in red hot chili peppers for a little while uh, uh dave navarro dave right navarro, he was on there yeah um, the other thing i remember was again i don't know this is the second time in a row i'm talking about uh total request live <laughs> uh, secret love yeah, there yeah, for Iman. Yeah. TRL, I heart TRL for life. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I think uh, you know, as, as movies are released, uh, people go and do promos, right? They just go on promos and whatever. They have to promote the movie. So I guess Axel wasn't going to promote that song. So on Total Request Live, they had Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ah. Yeah. yeah. I am promoting the song. <laughs> yeah, he was that's all he was doing. He was like, it's my old friend Axel Rule. It's like talking about my old friend Axel Rule. It's like he knows him or something. And uh, yeah. he's like, he did a new song. Get the album. And he's like with all these screaming kids. And he's like, you know, just doing this screaming over the top. It was clearly a promotion. And it was the weirdest thing where, you know, this like this. He was already in his 50s and he's on Total Request Live. There you go, man. Yeah, world of music business. Exactly, Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know what? Uh, let's get into um, because you did talk about that 2002 live performance and um, and those guys. It was the you know they did debut. Uh, did they debut Madagascar in there? Or? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
So yes, and you know, let's go. Let's uh, let's put it all into historical context. Uh, context in there, um, you know, Axel had either fired everybody from the band or they were gone, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's always funny to me, man. He just got rid of everybody. Yeah, because he bought the rights to the band's name. Uh, he did. He did. But uh, the, I think the other band members could still play the songs because they were songwriters. Yep. That, that, that song, but yeah, you're right. He. He won the name, so he used it. Yeah. So he kicked out the rest of the band. Um, or, they- or they left, most of them as well. I'm sure they didn't want to be involved. Yeah. Like Slash. So, you know, it was a major, big, you know, it was a monstrosity already. Um, people were sick of the drugs. People were sick of the touring. It was just too much going all on all at once. Um, and um, Axel had started bringing bunch of guys like Tommy Stinson and, you know, I think yeah. uh, one of the guys from Nine Inch Nails, Buckethead. It looked like a, just a – like when you see that live 2002 performance, you're like – the first thing was WTF? What the – what is going on here? Who are these people? I think especially Buckethead is very <laughs> – yeah. um, uh, and- well, How can I say um, hard to miss? Yeah, it's hard to miss. And, you know, just to touch on tangent, did you like any of um, Buckethead songs or any of his musical performances prior to GNR? Uh, no, but I did after. I downloaded, like, a few of his instrumental, like, you know, his uh, just guitar stuff. He was very good, man. Very, very good. good. I have to very say. good. I don't know why he wears a KFC bucket on his head. That's the only weird thing. Yeah. But he was as a musician, he was awesome. Very strange guy. Very strange guy. Um, uh, yeah. Even... Um, even um, uh, what's his name? Another really weird guy, um, Ozzy Osbourne, had asked to you know he said like hey let's uh, let's work with you because I like your sound I want to work with you and um, he's like why are you wearing this KFC bucket hat? <laughs> You've got like, a KFC bucket on your head, mate. What's that all about? Yeah, and he was like, so it's like. He's already a weirdo because he's his 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 brains are just fried from all the drugs that he's done. Yeah. And now he's meeting this eclectic guy who's like, I'm gonna wear this hat, I'm gonna wear this stupid mask, and I don't you're not gonna call me Brian, you're gonna call me Buckethead. Uh, hello, Mr. Buckethead. Would you like a coke? Yeah, so, yeah and then um, he's uh, Ozzy Osbourne said I'm not working with this guy. Oh he refused? That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he actually did. Okay. Ozzy Osbourne refused to work with this guy. That is so funny, man. Yeah. Um, and so you know, like all these guys. What did you What did you think of all these guys that were there? I, was, I thought it was like weird. Yeah, it was a little weird, but I was just excited to see Axl Rose. Uh, in fact, me and Nabil were actually jumping up and down when uh, they started singing. Mm-hmm. We didn't expect uh, Guns N' Roses to show up on that um, music awards because we were watching the music awards. Yeah, yeah. And I think Jimmy Fallon was like hinting it, like, uh, uh, you know, that we have a band coming up, you need to have a little patience. I was like, no, no, for sure, no. And then part of me was thinking like, it's going to be like a spoof, um, like, you know, like Eminem will come out and uh, dress as Axel or something like he did in his video for D12. It'll be some kind of joke, you know, like making fun of them. But yeah, it actually came out. I was excited. And Madagascar was a really good song. Yeah. I'll give this new band a listen. Um, you know, um, funny thing is, um, I remember when that when that VMA was going on, um, 
I had left. I just came in and out to see who was winning, and I was going back to my bedroom to study. And I remember, um, I think the first, you know, they started off with um, uh, Welcome to the Jungle, right? So I was in my bedroom, and I heard the riff. I heard the riff right away. And I heard my sister change the channel, and I came running back in. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. I was screaming on top of my head. Go back now. Go back now. And then, you know, she went back then. I was like, oh, my God, it's Guns N' Roses. You know, so I remember that distinctively. And my sister's like, what? How did you know it was that? I'm like, I just, you know, that, that opening riff, I knew. I knew right away that's Guns N' Roses, man. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, you know, so during that time, that was what's going on. They were recording that album. And, you know, it's like the longest album ever. I don't know what the hell he, Axel was really doing out there. But, he, you know, we get to the release of Chinese Democracy. Did you get it as soon as it came out? Oh, yeah. I went to the store. Uh, I wasn't even at home. I was away in work. I was in the city. And I went to the music store, found out where it was, you know, bought two copies, one for me, one for Nabil, mm-hmm. and uh, just listened to it. Yeah. Um, I was working in Iraq. Um, Amazon was not uh, selling the album. I had to get it from Best Buy. I got it from Best Buy. Yeah. And I remember my boss, he comes to my office like, is that the new Guns N' Roses? I'm like, yeah. And he borrowed it and he burned it. And he was like, that's doesn't even, that's weird. It's a weird album. I don't know what to make of it. And uh, so let's get into it, man. What did you think? What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was a great album. Um, I um, initially it sounded a bit like there was like too much guitar and right. a little different, but after a couple of days, I kind of sank in, and uh, I really enjoyed the album. You know, how did you uh, did you have that kind of same kind of feeling, or were you like, ah, oh, this is rubbish, or this I is had great? The same feeling. I was like, man, this is a really good album, man. This is like a fun album. I like the sound. Um, you know, it, it, it sounded like Guns N' Roses. It had the same, for me at least, like, and, you know, I going back, I go back to that album, like, almost all the time. It always feels like a, um, like a return to form, appetite for destruction kind of deal. Yeah, I mean, the only bad thing for me was I had heard a lot of the songs leaked in the years leading up because it took so long to record. So I had already heard um, Creative Dreams, which is called The Blues, before Madagascar, uh, better, they were already online, so I already had heard those over the years and had it downloaded. That was the only thing. So, um, but overall, it was, it was yeah, it was pretty good, man. It was pretty good. Right. Um, you know, um, again, like you had mentioned that you had listened to these albums, you had downloaded. I I didn't, and I just wanted to see the album for itself, and I wasn't sure. Actually, I thought they were not real. I thought they were like fake uh, releases. I- because <laughs> yeah. you know i mean during that time like we didn't know we didn't know what was real and what wasn't real so f- when i first heard the album and um you know um uh, for me um the better was just i was like wow what a great song and the guitar the guitar work yeah that was unique because it wasn't slash's guitar work it was Definitely something Yeah, I think else. that's the first thing that stood out is the um, the music was actually different yeah. like compared to Guns N' Roses. Yep. Classic. And uh, Street of Dreams, that was a great song too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, I think Madagascar was like one of my favorites. Yeah, I think for me it'd have to be Street of Dreams. 
but Madagascar was a really good too. Yeah. So, uh, you, uh, did you feel like it was worth the wait, or? Hmm, that's an interesting question because that's a long wait, man. <laughs> yeah. I think they should have released it earlier. Like, I still don't understand what was the holdup. Um, mm-hmm. I still think the record company kind of released it, kind of pushed Axel to release it because there was no promotion near the release. Mm-hmm. Like, it's quick, very fast promotion, like last minute. And also, there were no videos or interviews about, Yeah, you know, yeah, there was when no, it came out. I wouldn't, like, I didn't, I don't know if there was any promotion or not for it. Yeah, I I feel like the uh, the record company was like, look, we're gonna release it whether you like it or not, or we're gonna sue you because it's been like nine years. Oh, so that's so we got to that state. Well, it makes sense, right? Like, why wouldn't you make a video, uh, for your single? Like, if the video was just like one. There was one video for Chinese democracy, which was just like, um, you know, like uh, uh, just like live uh, gigs. You know, they just took a few live gig clips and put it together as a video. Like, there didn't seem a lot of effort, you know. Like, if you're making a, a new album, you make, you know, two or three videos, um, you know, m- maybe on a big scale, get some actors on your videos, etc. They didn't seem to do that. It's just like, oh, Chinese Roxy is coming out. There's a little ad on TV, and that was it. It was out. And afterwards, there was no, like, Axelrods, you know, Guns Roads weren't on any TV shows. They weren't um, playing any of the songs, you know, uh, they weren't in TRL, which uh, I don't blame them. But you know, it was like nothing. Like it was just like here's the album, you know, that's it. Yeah, that's and I think I think I feel the same way. Like this, it's just to me that was like a very strange thing. Like how it never, you know, they never there was no promotion and everything. And I, and I think you're right. And I forgot that that was what was going on. The the record company said okay. Screw you guys. We're releasing. Uh, did you know? And you know, going yeah. back in this, and I just uh, doing my research. I never, I forgot about. Actually, I never knew this. So um, there was a second part because there's a whole handful of songs that um, uh, Axel had recorded that he never released, and there was also going to be a remix album as well. And um, it was all supposed to be released in, you know, and it was all ready by 2014. But by then, uh, you know, Slash and Duff had joined the band, and now that idea was scrapped. So I guess we'll never hear Chinese Democracy too. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I did hear something about that, but uh, hmm, that's interesting. Which uh, I guess kind of segues into uh, what's going to happen to GNR uh, in the future. Uh, Slash and uh, Duff are back. And there's rumors, obviously they're doing their tour, but there's rumors that they might really make new music together. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not. And I, what do you think, man? Um, actually, that was, uh, actually, I was just going to tell you this. Uh, just in the news, just just yesterday, they have announced that as soon as Slash is done touring, they're all going to sit together and make an album. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, so just announced yesterday. Uh, I, I think uh, Slash is still on tour. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is it is is it just called Slash? That's all. That's all this album is called. Uh, no, I think it's Slash with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. I believe that's his name. Okay. okay. So you know what? Segue into this other thing. Now that we know that what's going to happen in the future, and I'm going to be excited to hear this new album. That should be fun. Hopefully, it won't take another fifteen years to make. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
Um, so, and going back, so, uh, and you've listened to a lot of their back catalog and because of you, I wound up listening to a few of their songs as well. And we'll start off with the most famous back catalog, uh, not back catalog. I meant like other, other side projects. Yeah. Um, well, the most famous one is Velvet Revolver, but before Velvet Revolver, there was Slash a Snake Pit and you, you and I both heard it. You've heard it before me and I heard it like in my, you know, like very recently. Um, what did you think? Mm, Slash a snake pit? Garbage. <laughs> really? Okay. Okay. Uh, any stats? No, man. I didn't like anything. Not even one song. Okay. You know, and here's, and this is exactly what I was going to say because I think, um, and it's how, you know, what we had talked about is like, sometimes you need the other five members to bounce around ideas. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. I, especially if you're a great guitarist, you know, if you get a mediocre singer or, you know, mediocre band members, it's not going to be the same. It's a, uh, there's a certain chemistry that goes along with people, uh, and especially in bands, that you need. You need the other other guys. Yeah, and um, I'm trying to remember if um, they, I think they even had the unplugged album, didn't they? I don't know, and I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's, uh, I remember that, and uh, yeah, and you know, like you, I just I thought a lot of the song, I could, I heard a lot of great potential. But like what you had said earlier, like, you know, just the fact that there were, you know, the, uh, you need other guys to bounce around ideas. Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, Axelor's kind of pulled it off with Chinese democracy where it's just him from the original. And then, but those guys were like already established, right? Like um, they were in, you know, like Tom Stinson was in the replacements and et cetera. You know, they're all like seasoned, you know, they're all like well-known or semi-well-known guys anyway. So that was different. But with Slash and like with Izzy and stuff, the guys they work with, you probably no, no one's heard of more or less, you know, or very like on a small scale. Yep. Um, before we get into Izzy stuff, did you ever hear Gilby Clark's uh, solo stuff? I did not actually. <laughs> no, neither did I. And, 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 and you know, our pitch is not to diss Gilby Clark. No, but he was a uh, yeah, he was more like a touring member. Yeah. Um, he had five minutes in Guns N' Roses, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and it was the same famous article that I was telling you about. They had interviewed Gilby Clark, and they're like, when did you find out that you were not part of Guns N' Roses? And he said, what, the day when the checks stopped coming from my mail. Oh, snap. Yeah, oh, snap. Yeah, unfortunately, he's a very forgettable guy. Yeah. But he's in the Guns N' Roses war. You know, he was also the guitarist for Spaghetti Incident. Oh, you're um, right. You're right, yeah. And uh, he did a, quite a couple, of, a few years of touring with them after Illusion. So, you know, fair enough, fair enough. Props for that. But. Now I'm going to move on to the famous side project, Velvet Revolver. Uh, yeah. Both, both two albums released, a tour as well, a bunch of tours. How did you feel about the two albums? Because that the lead singer, um, uh, the name is Scott Weiland. Yeah, Scott Weiland, um, one of your favorite bands. Yeah, definitely. Stone Temple Pilots, huge fan. Mm-hmm. How did you – now it's an amount uh, – you know, it's a combination of um, two of your favorite bands in there. How did you yeah. feel? I was very excited when they first uh, came out. I was like, uh, you know, downloading any songs or any leaks that came out. So, like, I think the first song I heard was Set Me Free, which was on the Hulk soundtrack. So this is the old Hulk movie, not the new one, by Ang Lee, back in 2003, I believe, something around there. And I really liked that song. Um 
you know, and then uh, I think Slither came on TV as a single, and I was like, oh, wow, that's that's a really, really good rock song. Yeah. And it was very exciting, very exciting. I liked the first album quite a lot, um, but I didn't think it was a classic. And then the second album was, for me, okay. Like, it wasn't as great as the first one. Mm-hmm. What, what in particular do you think was missing, in your opinion, at least in your opinion, that would have made it, like, up there with, you know, be here now? Um... I just think a lot of the songs sounded the same, like especially a lot of the fast songs. Okay, okay. And uh, you know that's always a turnoff for me. Like I like kind of variety. I'm not, I'm not saying like exactly the same. You know, obviously they had fall the pieces and stuff, which is right. different to slither. And so, but some of the I felt there were a lot of filler songs in there, like that weren't that great. And then the second album, it was just uh, a little bit worse. Like it was just the main the singles that were good. Nothing really struck me as great, you know. Um, I don't know if it was like maybe uh, Scott Weiland couldn't do the hard, fast rock songs, or he could with Slither, definitely. So I don't know if it was a limitation. Like some of the band members are like, well, he's not Axl Rose. He didn't have that range. Maybe that's to do with it. Maybe it's just, that's just how good they were. Like, you know, sometimes you take two great rock band members and put them together. It doesn't always mean that they're going to be greater than the bands they came out from, you know. But I did. They did a good job of not sucking, <laughs> and being pretty good. So fair enough. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that was that for me. That was always interesting because you were a bigger Stone Temple Pilots fan than I was, and and I always thought your opinion was yeah. very interesting. And I was like, oh, you didn't like those two bands? I thought you would have loved them. And uh, so I, I see. I yeah, I can see that point that you know, like sometimes uh, just combining two acts here is that there isn't that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, I they're on my heavy rotations. Or every some once in a while, I put on and I listen to both albums back to back because I like them that much. Um, wow. Even the second one, you like it? Yeah, yeah, I love the second. Fair one. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I've heard so much uh, yeah. Stone Temple Pilots. It's hard for me to put those two albums above any Stone Temple Pilots albums. You know what I mean? Maybe it's just the history right. of it. The expectations are too much, maybe right, for right, me. Right, you know. right. um, have you gone back and listened to both albums again, or not since the release? Uh, I, yeah, I've heard the first album again, and uh, yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, and same opinion. Even after revisiting, you're like, no, no. I just say, you know, guys, good effort, good effort. That's. I'll leave it there. Okay, so it has definitely not grown on you. Um, did you know that Izzy Stradlin was part of it? Uh, yeah, they kind of invited him. I think he uh, did some auditions, maybe, and stuff like that, like a few run-throughs, but he didn't right. end up joining. Um, and here, you know, here's the thing. Um, and going back, and, and and I had mentioned this earlier in the podcast, is that um, when you, you know, and I asked you, did you feel that he was, he, was he a, the most underrated player or was he overrated? And... And this is my opinion, and I'm going to bounce it to you. And I don't want to hear your, and I want to hear what you have to say. I did a get a, ch- I did get a chance to listen to his solo albums. I did go back and listen to Juju Hounds, um, One Eighty Degrees, and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, you really went in. Huh? Yeah, I just, I went in, and I just said, okay, you know what? Let's try it out. And um, you know, here's my opinion. It's probably what's your opinion on Velvet Revolver. Forgettable hard rock song. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I haven't heard a lot of Izzy's. I think I heard a couple of songs. I was like, ah, yeah. whatever. If you if you <laughs> heard it, you you would it would never it wouldn't mean anything. At least you know. I mean, that's how I feel about it. But uh, and here's the thing, you know, like when we used to, I used to think that he was one of the most underrated guys. He was the you know he was the guy that was a drive creative driving force behind him. And you're like, well, if he's so creative, yeah. and so intelligent. Why does he make all these forgettable rock albums? You're right, man. But it's I think it's a little more complex, man. Like, uh, let's take Paul McCartney. He wrote a lot of great songs when he was on the Beatles, um, and he wrote a couple of great songs after the Beatles too. But overall, his solo career is pretty not that great, right? Like, he didn't ha- recapture, um, and he's pretty good, right? He's a pretty good songwriter. He wrote a lot of like you know, Yesterday is one of the greatest songs ever, man. So. I'm not saying he's Izzy Stradlin, but maybe Izzy is the kind of guy that kind of fits in with the superstar talent guys rather than carrying a band, if that makes sense. So, yeah, that's absolutely true That in that sense that, you know, I think it's, again, he needs those other guys yeah. to bounce ideas off of. Yeah, so it's, it's, it is a very complex to say if he's underrated or overrated. Maybe yeah. it's somewhere in between. Maybe, yeah, and, you know, again, like if you write a song, you know, like you have Axel and... Um, Duff and Slash contributing to your songwriting. Like, I don't know if that fits well. How about we use this bridge? Or, you know, I mean, in that creative process, there's so much input that you get from other geniuses. Yes. Yeah. So I think that was, uh, you know, that was probably what was missing in his uh, albums that, you know, he's just, he's not that, you know, it's, it's, he's not, you know, I mean, he just needs those other guys to up his game, I guess. So uh, that pretty much wraps any all the questions that I had. Um, um, how do you? Uh, is there anything else you want to add to the GNR? Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, I think we mentioned some of our favorite tracks. I don't know if it's worth just doing a top five, which is going to be really hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, actually, it is very hard. It is very hard. So go on with you. Uh, I'll ask you your favorite tracks. Uh, yeah, I'd go with uh, "Welcome to the Jungle," "November Rain." Uh, my Michelle, Patience, and You Could Be Mine. Right. Um, I'd have to start off probably with uh, Paradise City. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. I, I was surprised that it wasn't on your top five. It, this thing is hard, man. <laughs> they're that good for me. Like, they're my favorite band, so it's very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. You're right. There are your, it's your favorite band, and um, it gets it gets difficult when you have to pick, like, you know, you know, water it down to five, five different, just five yeah. songs. Um, for and then probably uh, like you, you know, you could be mine, estranged, and um, um, don't cry. Both versions, right. both cry, don't cry. Both versions, and um, I was gonna, you know, I was gonna say uh, so fine, but I've liked November Rain longer mm, than so fine. Good choice. <laughs> It's just, you know, I mean, so fine I've, you know, recently and then November Rain I've liked ever since I was a kid. So, yeah, yeah. so those are my and they're pretty much uh, kind of aligned with yours. Yeah, pretty much, man. Uh, a lot of uh, memories for us and a lot of people we grew up with, with Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, um, the funny thing was, um, and I'm just going to plug something in, uh, plug something, well, it's not plug something. You know, I'd advertise it. Um, I think I, I was I was in a bookstore 
about maybe on Friday nights. So I was looking for a Guns N' Roses book to write about. And, uh, yeah. You know, just to kind of help uh, with us. And I found one and, um, you know, it was a hardcover book. And there, there was, I know so much, it wasn't anything new in there, you know, so there's nothing new in there. So I picked another book yeah. called Meet Me in the Bathroom. Okay. Um, you know, um, there's a, and I think you're, you, you, we were both talking about it. And um, there was a, uh, I think it was the early O's, like 99 to probably, I want to say 2010. The, uh, there was a, a New York scene happened in New, um, musical scene. And it was like, you know, the bands like uh, The Strokes, Interpol, I think a couple other bands from other cities came in. It was this whole garage rock scene and um, LCD sound system as well. So it's a, it's a history about these books, um, about that era. And so they interview all these different people that were in the scene and probably that were in the bands. And um, I lived, actually, I lived through that era because I did go see these bands in like, you know, $10 shows, $15 shows in these dingy nightclubs in Detroit and um, yeah. So I started reading that and I, it's really good. It's actually really good. I read a similar one about the grunge scene and that was also interesting. Um, I highly recommend that one for you because you were, you really liked grunge and you were a big fan and you, you know, you kind of, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, just to see where everybody came from, what everything is. Um, yeah. You know, I didn't know that Pearl Jam had this weird, dynamic between uh, Eddie Vedder and uh, Stone Gossard. And it goes actually all the way back to when they were with uh, Andrew Wood in Mother Love Bone. Uh, okay. Yeah, like yeah. he's the new lead singer. He's, and, you know, he's completely different from Andrew Wood and as in personality. And from then on, they didn't get along, but it was that constant butting heads that made great albums for them. Another great band, man. I would probably say my second favorite band or third. Yeah. So yeah, I highly recommend re- reading uh, both uh, both books. Uh, Meet me in the. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. Very interesting. Um, I'll check it out. I said, yeah, it sounds good. Well, you know, reading about it, it's um, you know, and I, the thing, you know, again, like you know, I I remember seeing the White Stripes for only fifteen bucks, and then the next time I saw them was in Spain. And I think I must have paid like 200 euros. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, it was, it was, it was nuts. It was, but it wasn't, it wasn't 200 euros just for one concert. It was like for a music festival. It was a festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you uh, going there. You invited me, I think. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I was like, oh, it'll be like a fun weekend of just... Uh, I was like a broke uh, 20 year old or whatever the age was. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell. You know what? We got another... I, I don't know. Did you say you're done with concerts or... Uh, more or less, yeah. Unless it's something really special, you know. Yeah. So if we if we ever get a chance again, we you know, we should definitely go see a live venue. I'm yeah. not old now, so I sit in the very very back. And uh, uh, live, maybe have a, a bottle of water, a coke, and then just go home. Yeah, uh, which reminds me, I did get to see the Guns N' Roses in 2011 or 12. 
So uh, that was pretty cool. A lot of Chinese democracy, but a lot of old songs too. Okay. Um, were the new guys, were the old guys back in the band or was still the new guys? Uh, no, the old guys weren't back, but uh, the next day Duff made an appearance, but I went to the like a different date, so I missed him. Okay, okay. But it was, uh, it was still pretty good with the new guys, I have to yeah. say. Did you know, and this is from reading that book, right? Um, I forgot the name of that grunge book. Once I get the title, I'll, I'll plug it in again next week, next time we do the podcast. Um, did you know that Duff was actually from the Seattle scene? Like he knew all these guys? Like he knew the yeah. guy, Jam Nirvana? Yeah, I did know that. I did know that, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. I was like, what? This is so interesting. Apparently, he was also on the plane when Kurt Cobain was uh, flying back from somewhere before he died, like a day before. Okay. He was sitting next to him. Yeah, so they were, yeah, they were, like, a, that's so interesting that he knew all those guys. They were all friends. Yeah, yeah. Like, all the guys from Soundgarden, all the guys from... There's actually a really funny uh, excerpt from the book because the Seattle scene really grew up as an antithesis to the uh, to the LA scene, and um, you know there's a they were talking about like how Duff had came back to play in Seattle, and um, they were all surprised like what is this this guy is like in leather and lipstick before he left and. No, before he left, he was like one of us, and now he's like this. Like, what the, What happened to this guy? Yeah, man. That's how it goes. <laughs> That's how it goes. You know, he was in one of the greatest rock bands, and I, you know, I, I always liked his, uh, as I've gotten older, I've really liked his input into the band. I liked his input in the band, in the music itself. He just, to me, he seems like the guy that was probably one of the most level-headed in the band. Yes. After drugs. Definitely, definitely. Creative force to have in the band. Definitely, very important, very uh, talented guy. No yeah. doubt, without a doubt. All right, man. That's all I gotta say about Guns and Roses. How about you? Yeah, just one more thing. I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Ahmed Riaz because last year we were in your car and he played November Rain, so it made me feel like twelve years, twelve year old again, and that was special. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I love Guns N' Roses. What can yeah. I say? <laughs> and he's a listener too. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'd just like to thank everyone who listened uh, to all the podcasts, including the last one, which was Oasis. Um, we are now on Spotify and Pocket Cast as well, uh, as well as SoundCloud. So, trying to get our stuff on more platforms. I'll keep you updated. But, um, yeah, just check out our Facebook page or um, check us out on uh, Spotify and Pocket Cast. Um, and uh, I think that does it. Um, so if there's nothing else, uh, I'll sign off now. Yeah. All right. Uh, this has been Islamabad Rock City, Guns N' Roses. Thank you for listening and uh, stay tuned. <laughs>